developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, um, somebody spoke to a Mr. Graham Plaster this week for September's Insightful Inquiries. Do you have a clip to share? Yeah, I do have a clip. And it you know, it was really fun. It was an interesting podcast dealing in innovation in the Department of Defense. Uh, but we got into a lot of, uh, of other things, including you'll hear in, in this clip some about a space mm-hmm. exploration so oh wow that's cool let's play let's play the clip all right <laughs> so what are your thoughts on and if you have no thoughts on it that's that's fine we can move on but sort of this uh, exploration into space and what are the resources on the moon or the resources on mars uh do you have any thoughts on that or or do you have any trepidations towards the u.s trying to do that well i mean i think to a certain extent you know, the greatness of America is epitomized in um, walking on the moon. Right. Um, and so if we look back at the, um, you know, it's been 50 years, right? Uh, and, and that's pretty fascinating uh, that we haven't just been kind of tromping all over the moon frequently over the last 50 years. Um, but uh, the vision to go to the moon or to go to Mars, I think, is a uh, is an engine for innovation. Now, if I were to weigh that vision against the vision to like do deep sea mining or something like that, I kind of think that Earth is still a very rich repository of resources that we could still tap into right. compared to going all the way to Mars to get stuff or try to live in that hostile environment. Um, and as you know, as a Navy guy, I can value both where I'm saying, hey, you know, uh, the, the space is another ocean, right? It's another vast expanse that deserves to be explored and and has you know riches to 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 find on the other hand i still think that the earth being what three quarters ocean we still have a lot to explore here all right i'm i'm not gonna lie like i couldn't tell whenever you started playing the clip so i thought you were asking me like okay you're prefacing (laughs) you were prefacing with my opinion about space exploration and i was over here panicking trying to formulate (laughs) something that sounded halfway intelligent <laughs> I, was like, why... I don't have an opinion on this. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> All right, guys. That is why you should always yeah. do a pre-production and explain to your co-host yeah. what the clip is going to be before you play it. Yeah, I I had no idea. But anyways, that sounds like you guys dive into some really interesting topics. Yep. We do. Like I said, space exploration, also climate change. Um, you know the. We talk. We've you and I have talked about that before, where the intel yeah. community has come out and said climate change is is a national security. Uh, it, you know, it's a issues. one of the major national security e- issues. events. So issues, devices. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I just well, like to throw words out. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. What is on your radar this week? 
Oh, can I say before we get no. into? Oh, no, man. no. Well, I this is I got... linear. There's no deviation. <laughs> Stick to it, buddy. Just I just wanted to say that uh, I got a text from our good friend Luke down in Louisiana, mm-hmm. who's still loving the show. But he he said he liked the tagline, but he offered a new tagline oh, for the show. So I want to put that out and say thanks to Luke for this. This podcast is okay. The news sucks or whatever. That's well, that right. I said this, you know, the news is terrible. This oh, podcast is, is okay. I got, I got it messed up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry you about that. It. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but his was, the news is terrible, but the conversation isn't. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for, thank you for that, Luke. Yeah. At least we yeah. know our conversation isn't terrible. Well. We'll see. <laughs> Sometimes right, let's dive right in. Hey, I tried to get you to dive right in. You're the one who decided to interject. Do you have anybody you want to shout out before we <laughs> get into this? I literally don't talk to anyone about this podcast. <laughs> that is smart. All right, getting right into it. <laughs> I don't tell anyone. <laughs> so that's on you, buddy. So for those still listening, uh we are doing Russia Ukraine as always. Yeah. Uh there's a lot going on there, so that's going to be quite uh that's going to be the majority of this podcast. Um but <clears throat> Taiwan fires back at China and I've got an update on that that isn't in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um and it it's wild. So we're going to move from China to the Middle East because of an uprising in the green zone in Iraq and then the intensifying conflict between Iran and Israel. Mm. We were go- we're going to go back to Google's AI bot, which is now out for beta testing. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you hate that. <laughs> we're getting closer and, to Skynet. Ah, <laughs> uh, I know. Um, and ah. then so this so history's mysteries. I'm changing it up for this month uh, because I saw some very interesting. Uh, videos and articles on on misinformation throughout history and so we're doing a month of oh, okay. a history of misinformation and we're going to start off with a cute story that doesn't really harm anything and then we're going to start progressively getting to more harmful misinformation okay that sounds good all right so what is the big news coming out of the war in ukraine all right the major news this week is that we saw we finally saw the start of the massive ukrainian counteroffensive uh, to take back that region uh, in the Kherson Oblast that Russia took over early in the war. Um, and as always, there are different accounts of what is happening in that region and whether or not Ukraine has retaken parts of the Oblast. Uh, also, both countries continue to accuse each other of shelling around that nuclear power plant. And that's ahead of a planned visit by the United Nations, um, which is which has happened and um, so there's some update to that as Russia has shelled the roads leading in to the power oh, plant wow. to deny entry. Um, oh, no. But the UN has stated that their people are there and they're not going anywhere. They are not leaving. Um, so Mighty bold of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and so there's some reporting from BBC you know that the that the Russian military is refusing to even allow the inspectors into the power plant proper 
Um, and, and as well, the Ukraine's intelligence directorate reported that the military commissariates of Russia's two big, biggest cities, that's Moscow and St. Petersburg, were instructed to conscript residents for further deployment to Crimea. Oh, my. Um, this seems to be the start of a possible retaliation to Ukraine's attacks on Crimea. So a lot going on. Yeah, it's been uh, quite active in Ukraine, a lot to go over, um, especially with the counteroffensive in Kherson, uh, that being the main event. Besides retaking the land, is there anything else Ukraine is looking to achieve in this counteroffensive? Uh, so that's a very good question. So uh, obviously, as you mentioned, retaking that region is the main focus. Um, but also any advancements in the region could demoralize the Russian military further. Because um, that's going to dash Russian hopes of extending occupation of the southern Black Sea coastline up to Odessa. Um, but also that region uh, in Kherson is it's in a very strategic location. Uh, it sits on the Dnieper River, which is the largest river in Ukraine, and it also leads to Kiev. Um, not only does it lead to Kiev, it uh, also flows into the Black Sea, and we all know that's a strategic seaport of Ukraine. When exactly did Russia take control of Kherson? So that in the first few days of March, Russia claimed the land in Kherson Oblast, so very early on. Um, and I really hope I said that correctly. I should yeah, that's, have... that's, the pronu- that's the pronunciation. Okay, I always feel like I'm putting too much flair into the no. word. <laughs> I'm you like, did is good. That? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. So as... once again, once again, something we could have discussed in a pre-production meeting. Guys, okay. always do pre-production, guys. Says the person <laughs> who never does pre-production. It's well, this is good podcasting. That's All right. A... <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, Kiev was widely seen as the next direction that Russia would go after Kherson fell. Yeah. Um, as we all know, that plan failed miserably. Uh, so Russia had to consolidate troops along the east and southeast of Ukraine to start the offensive against the Odessa region. Now, this counteroffensive from Ukraine, and that's it's been months in the planning. It's a huge undertaking by the Ukrainian military. And um, yes, it could change the trajectory of this war. But I also want to caution, it could also force Putin to begin what we talked about last week. Yeah. Using that threat of nuclear weapons in the region as a deterrence to any further counteroffensives planned by Ukraine. And uh, something we didn't mention before, but I just saw today that Russia has started to um, to warn Moldova of actions towards that country, which we've talked about on previous occasions. My friend Sasha lives in Moldova. Uh Wow. So, yeah, if she's still you, you've there, met, you've met her. Yes. Uh, I didn't know she was still in, in Moldova. Um, yeah, she can't. So, they won't let her out of Moldova. <laughs> we'll keep tracking that and keep everybody updated on what's going on there. But uh, we honestly really won't know how effective this counteroffensive is for. Uh, I mean, a few months, a few weeks is the best case scenario, but it's probably going to be a few months yeah. Um, well, so we're gonna have tons of updates, you know, over that time frame, and, and we'll continue to cover this event on a weekly basis. Well, are the Ukrainians finally getting good news? Yeah. So this counteroffensive is one hundred percent good news for Ukraine. That's uh, Ukraine morale, um, the Ukraine military, and uh, and the Ukrainian military has had sprinkles of good news pushing back Russian advances, but. 
Um, I mean, this is the biggest push by the Ukrainian military since the start of the war. So uh, bad news. We, we want to stay unbiased, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm laughing because I don't want to stay unbiased towards yes. a, an, an entity that has been aggressive towards a free yeah. nation. Yeah. Um, but it is bad news for Russia and the Russian military, um, which they deny, of course. But it is of course. great news for Ukraine, and uh, and the Ukrainians are promoting that. Well, that's awesome. So thank you for that. Let's move to the next potential conflict region. Any new updates about Taiwan and China? So big week for Ukraine and Russia, and a huge week for Taiwan and China. It seems like those are you know corresponding events that happen uh, this week. Uh, Taiwan is making the headlines as uh, as they fired warning shots at Chinese drones near an offshore island. Um, mm. And like I said, I had an update, further update on this. Now, okay. those drones headed back to China after the shots were fired. But uh, it was reported last night that Taiwan actually uh, shot at and hit a Chinese drone. Um, so there's no further news about that at Uh-oh. this point that I've seen. But that is something we're going to track. Um, that... Won't make China happy. Neither of those won't. And and we'll stick to talking about what's been confirmed and what I've been able to, to find out. Um, so as of right now, China has not responded to either of those incidents. Um, but yeah, they are. you're correct to assume they aren't happy. Um, I do want to highlight an interesting comment from Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman uh, Zhao Lijian. When Taiwan started complaining about the drones flying near the island, uh, this is what he said about that. He said, Chinese drones flying over China's territory, what's there to be surprised at? So <laughs> there you get what China feels about Taiwan. Well, we know that. That's why they're doing that stuff. Right. And so yeah. we've noted that multiple times. Yeah. China considers Taiwan a Chinese island. Um mm-hmm. So that means in their thinking, if the Chinese government wants to send drones to observe Taiwan, they have every right. I mean, hell, if Beijing wants to station Chinese military aircraft on the island, they'd consider that appropriate. So no improvements to relations there? No. But, you know, honestly, I'm not seeing any deterioration to relations since Nancy Pelosi left the island. Speaking of Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Sorry, yes. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. I want to be respectful. She earned that. That's her. That's her full yeah. uh, name. Not sure we needed that clarification, but thank you. Speaking of Speaker Pelosi, any update to that delegation that went to Taiwan? Well, uh, first, I'm going to say that each delegation that's gone from the U.S. has been very well received by Taiwan. I don't think that's the main. Um, it's not right about them accepting it and. <laughs> They uh, they do well received. they do continue to draw condemnation from Beijing. Yeah, um, and it's listen. It's not. It doesn't ease tensions when Senator Blackburn, which is the delegate leader we spoke about last week, yeah, tweets out this statement. I just landed in Taiwan to send a message to Beijing. We will not be bullied. And then her counterpart, her counterpart from Japan, tweets out. China's military provocations and other erratic behavior pose a risk to the peace and safety of not only Taiwan, but East Asia as a whole. Oh, let's antagonize a whole country, a massive country. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and both statements are true. 
I'm not yeah. going to say that they're not. And, and I'm also not going to say that they should stay silent or try to appease China. Well, yeah, that's yeah. I'm just trying to make a point that these actions are not going to get China to back down on its intended purpose of reclaiming Taiwan. Um, all countries involved need to honestly prepare for retaliation. Uh, like I just a hundred percent honest with everybody full, um, full transparency. I don't know the inner circle conversations that are going on. Um, I do hope they are being ma- made aware of all possible actions China could take though. Just, well, it's, the sheer arrogance of the American politicians flying to Taiwan thinking they're going to influence anything other than, like, tick off. Because it's not like our relationship with China is that great either. Not at all. So you think them flying to Taiwan and tweeting out stuff like that isn't going to provoke them? And listen, you can fly to, to Taiwan and, and show solidarity, but when you tweet stuff out like that yeah. and it's, it's made public, it just... Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it kind of does the opposite of what you want to do. We we kind of want to not start a war right now. Yeah, we're and, we're busy getting that started on other fronts, you know? Right. <laughs> we're we're everywhere, you know, Iran and Russia. Which we're and gonna Ukraine get into. And, yeah. Well, okay. There is a lot of news coming out of that region. You didn't lie. Yeah. And so we haven't even spoken about the U.S. warships that crossed the Taiwan Strait. What? Yeah. So two guided missile cruisers, which is the USS USS Antietam and the USS Chancellorsville, uh, they entered the Taiwan Strait in what is the first U.S. naval transit in the waterway since Speaker Pelosi's trip. All that... All that time ago, whenever Speaker Pelosi went to it's, the ages that have passed <laughs> since. So what was their mission? Wait, first, we are still in 2022, right? That wasn't yes. like two years ago. No, that was <laughs> like a month ago, month and a half ago, uh, okay. maybe. Just checking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So those, uh, those ships transit through the Taiwan Strait was said to demonstrate the United States commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. Right. Um, and send a very clear and very consistent message that, quote, the United States military will sail, fly, and operate wherever international law permits us to do so. And did China respond? Yes. The Chinese military said it was monitoring the two ships, maintaining a high alert, and would be ready to prevent any incitement of conflict. Did the ships enter Chinese waters? It did not. Um, So international law, for those that don't know, defines territorial waters as anything 12 nautical miles from a country's coastline. Now, Mm -hmm. these ships remained in international waters. Smart. (laughs) (laughs) After all that news, let's move to the Middle East and discuss what is going on in Iraq. Right. Uh, I'm going to try to briefly detail this event um, as the history behind what happened. It dates back months. It also... (laughs) I'm going all the way back to the uh, U.S. invasion of Iraq. So let's start with a few months back, almost a year back. Uh, in October of last year, Iraq held its first parliamentary election since the 2019 Iraqi Revolution. Now, the Sadrist movement, which is led by cleric Muqtada al-Sadr, um, he won the majority of seats. Uh, since then, Iraq has been in turmoil as the uh, Muqtada al-Sadr has tried to form a majority government, but has been unable to do so. And this has led his passionate followers to protest. Well, uh, earlier this week, 
Sadr said because of those protests that he was withdrawing from all political activity. Well, that didn't do much to dissuade his followers. This upset them even more. And they converged on the Green Zone, which houses many international diplomats. Um, the protesters became violent, and unfortunately, 22 people were killed. Oh, no. Now, Muqtada al-Sadr, to his credit, condemned the violence and told his supporters to stand down and allow the remaining parties to establish a government and elect a new president. So Iraq has come a long way since I last stepped foot there, which was in 2010. Um, and I do have my own disagreements with al- with Muqtada al-Sadr. Uh, he called for the killings of all coalition forces in Iraq while I was in Iraq. Um, but you, I, in retrospect, I get it. You know, coalition forces were viewed as occupiers by many in the country. Um, yeah. If a military came into the U.S. to rid the country of what they perceived as a dangerous leader, there are millions of Americans who would fight back. Absolutely. So you've, you've got to see both sides of this. Um it really does seem, though, that he is there to improve life of the Iraqi people. Yeah. Um, now, as I always say, only time will tell. Power does corrupt. Um, and if he does reestablish himself as leader of the Sadrist movement, we could see corruption from the very top. Um, so I'm going to say, honestly, we should pay very close attention to whoever takes over as leader in Iraq. And that's because right now Iran is getting involved since they share a border. Uh, And we both know what Iran's intentions are for the region. Yes, we do. So let's get right into that. What updates do you have on the crisis brewing in Iran? Uh, So as we have spoken about often, the Iran nuclear deal is the main topic in the conflict between Israel and Iran. This week, Iran's president warned that any solution to restore that deal with the West must start with international inspectors ending their probe on man-made uranium particles found at undeclared sites in the country. What? Right. Um, So President (laughs) Ibrahim Raisi, whose presence in New York later this month is being protested by Iranian Americans along D.C.'s National Mall. Oh, yeah, we went to that. Went to that and and spoke with people there who were very burdened by this. Um, He's also issued threats against Israel. Um, mm-hmm. And all that is while he's trying to sound upbeat about Iran's economy as it dips under the burden of international sanctions. So he hasn't stopped calling for Israel's destruction. Got it. Yeah. Do you have any update on whether he will speak in New York at the UN General Assembly? Uh, so I want to reiterate first that the calls for a denial of visa are coming from Iranian Americans. Yeah, we um, saw them and spoke to them. Yes, and they are calling him out for his brutal killings of hundreds of thousands of his own people. Wasn't it 3,000? Something around 3,000? It's a, it, I think it was 300-something thousand. It was over 300,000. Oh, 300,000. I knew there's a three in there, and it's thousands. I couldn't remember if it was tens of thousands, but it was a lot of people. It's a, and they have pictures a of a lot of them up at the National Mall, too. Yes. You know, we didn't... I think... Uh, yeah, we didn't even get to to ask how many of the, you know, sort of memorials that they had around there, but there were thousands yeah. along the National Mall. Yeah. Um, so he is known to these Iranian Americans as the Butcher of Tehran. Um, but last week, the U.S. State Department said it would not deny a visa to President Raisi 
or his traveling team, and he mm. would be allowed to speak. So the State Department— Don't listen to your people. It's fine. Right. And, and the State Department's trying to get out ahead of this and uh, wipe their hands clean of this because they mentioned that as a host nation of the U.N., the U.S. is generally obligated under the U.N. headquarters agreement to issue visas to representatives of U.N. member states so that they can travel to the U.N. headquarters district. So legally, they have to let him in. Have they denied delegates a visa in the past? Uh, once again, a great question. Um, and yes, they have. Uh, as recently as January of 2020. Oh, okay. And that on in January of 2020, they denied a visa to Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif. And uh, that would have allowed him to attend a United Nations Security Council meeting in New York. But mm-hmm. if you remember the time frame of that period in history, that was when commander of the Quds Force, which is a clandestine division of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, his name Qasim Soleimani, had mm-hmm. been killed in a drone strike. Um, so the president is there to deny Raisi's visa. However, the Biden administration, remember in 2020, that was the Trump administration. Now we're going to speak the Biden administration. And they appear dead set on reestablishing Iran's nuclear deal and denying the president of Iran a visa would not be viewed favorably by the government of Iran. As it is September 2nd, when this episode is released, we are getting close to when we will know for sure if he speaks at the UN General Assembly. So there will be updates galore. Um, Let's move to the technology sector, because for some reason, even after watching Ex Machina, you want to talk about that AI bot from Google. So what is the latest besides scaring me? Well, let's see. Um, Yeah. I, much like you. Mm. want to absolutely prevent an ex machina event and that movie becomes scarier you know some movies don't age well yeah that one is scarier now it Um. really is scarier the first time we watched it it didn't it didn't phase me i was just i just i don't know yeah it's like oh this is an interesting concept yeah Uh, now it's like nope this is scary yeah, my dad knew. He knew back then it was scary as heck. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I am gonna I I want to say that I don't think as of right now in the research that I've yeah. done, and I'm not the brightest person out there, um, especially in this realm, but I don't think we're close to being at that moment. Which yeah, I, yeah. I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um Yeah. No, it's probably not even in our life not even in our lifetime. Mm. Um but I am going to say that these AI bots are creeping me out, man. Yeah, they're everywhere. All over. So we talked Facebook. We talked, um, the, obviously, the Google one. Um, yeah. We So that's where we started. You know, we talked about the engineer who claimed the Google bot was sentient. Yeah. Um, it was two weeks ago, I believe, we spoke about Facebook, their bot, which was uh, airing out dirty laundry. Talking, cra- talking crap about Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and listen, we didn't even discuss Facebook's other AI bot, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, he is an AI bot. <laughs> and sure. He went on Rogan and started admitting to teaming up with the FBI to shadow ban stories. Oh, wow. Um, so now we have Google, who is releasing a beta test of its AI bot through what's called its Test Kitchen application. Um, so the Lambda chatbot is officially ready for more users to interact which, uh, with, which is a win-win for Google and a lose-lose for everybody else. 
Um, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna increase its number of users. You know, as millions are curious to see what's going on with this AI bot. Um, and those interactions with the AI bot are what Google want because it's it's gonna improve the way the bot interacts. Um, as well as the bot. That's gonna take all your information and store it. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so with all that, it's going to improve the bot's outputs. Um, And that's where the sort of sentient nature of it could be a problem. Um, Now that, it could lead, I'm going down the the path of destruction, but Mm -hmm. it also could lead to great technological advances. Um, Mm -hmm. But like I said, it could also do the complete takeover of the human race by our robot overlords. Um, I'll say again, only time will tell, guys. <laughs> Are you going to sign up? Yeah, I, I'm going to try to get early access for two reasons. Hey, don't uh, you dare talk about me on that thing. Uh, I am So I'm generally interested in these tech. You know me. Uh, the You had the first iPhone that I made you get. <laughs> yeah, you made me get the first iPhone, and you had the first iPad. Yep, I, I love early adoption of technology. He loves technology. I do. We'll have to set, put that clip in there for him. <laughs> An oldie but a goodie, so. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm generally interested in this stuff, but I also want to provide the correct information to our listeners um, who may, like you are, Tiana, um, rightfully apprehensive about interacting with AI chatbots. Well, maybe if you can get that access, we'll circle back on this in a few months and you can give us a full report. Yeah, we'll probably do a full special episode on what the bot is saying and doing. Okay, well, we've reached this week's History's Mysteries, so let's discuss this week's interesting moment in history, which is actually about misinformation, right? Correct. So like I said at the beginning, we're going to do uh, progressively worse um, moments of misinformation in history. Um, and okay. This, so like I said this month, I want to highlight that misinformation is not a new phenomenon in news media. Um, and... We'll even find out that even in the library's nonfiction section, it's not a new phenomenon. Yeah. And we'll talk about how it can skew our view of historical people and events. Of course. So this week, we are going to discuss a bit of a local legend for us in the Dumfries area. Mm-hmm. Mason Locke Weems. He was an American minister, evangelical bookseller. But what we're going to talk about is he is the author who wrote the first biography of George Washington. Well, here's a story I know about. Yes, we have seen the historical plaque and we have, you know, volunteered some at the house. So and the house we're talking about is the uh, Weemspot house in Dumfries, where he wrote Weems wrote his 80 page booklet that would influence the thoughts of Americans to this day. Yeah. And he. He called that book A History of the Life and Death, Virtues and Exploits of General George Washington. And so the whole booklet is not misinformation, uh, but I do want to tackle a very famous story that I'm sure everyone knows about. It was taught for generations in school, and it was taught as fact in schools, as far as I remember. Yeah, absolutely. The Washington cherry tree story. Yes, that story. Um I want to break it down to show how misinformation flows and then become uh, that misinformation becomes pervasive in historical lore. Um, and people and, take it as fact. Correct. 
And so yeah. that, like I said, this is a cute, fun little story, but we're going to show in future episodes why a misinformation campaign can be dangerous and actually mm-hmm. change our thoughts on historical events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep reiterating, this is a harmless story for the most part. Uh, but it was believed for so long, and it made its way into almost every historical account of Washington for years. Yeah, I remember learning about it in school and having a fake axe and pretending to cut down a cherry tree. <laughs> yeah, we did plays. Yeah, there were plays, and it was teaching us about lying. Yes. Um, <laughs> as they're lying to us. As they're lying to us. That's a very, very interesting part of this uh, misinformation story. Yeah. Is that it lies to it's you to tell you school kids? It's just telling kids don't lie to your parents. Adults can lie to you. That's fair, but don't. Yeah. Don't lie to. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, so, don't lie to the adults. Yeah. So we'll get into the story. Um, when Washington was about six years old, he was given a hatchet, and he would go about chopping everything that came in his way, as future leaders of the free world would do. Right. Um, one day, uh, he hacked at an English cherry tree. Now, the next morning, George's dad, finding out what happened to his tree, which was his favorite tree, That's went a around. Very six-year-old thing to do. You well, just... when you don't have PlayStation, you find other ways. <laughs> well, I'm just saying this as a child who thought it would be super cool to draw pictures with a stick on the side of my mom's sob oh. and thinking <laughs> yeah. she was going to be so excited. Like, look what I did to your car. I made it pretty. Woo! I got in deep trouble for yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> watch your six-year-olds, guys. Yeah, watch your six-year-olds. They get into some stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I said, his dad went around asking, you know, who hacked the tree? And no one could tell him anything about it. And then here strolls in George Washington. He enters the scene. He was asked by his father, do you know who killed that beautiful little cherry tree yonder in the garden? As they say in the 1700s. Uh, right. right. Uh, George looked at his father, and he bravely, as uh, Weems would say, cried right. out, I can't tell a lie, Pa. You know I can't tell a lie. I did cut it with my hatchet. That's my George Washington impersonation. <laughs> the best. You're so good at that. Yep. Um, I'll be on tour next week. Yeah. Doing my historical impersonation. Very regal. Um, but that aside, thank you mm-hmm. for that, Tiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father forgave him. Um, and his father Aww. said that honesty was worth more than the tree. Right. So, like I said many times already, very little harm is done in spreading misinformation here, except for the fact that kids no longer trust adults because they keep getting lied to. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a cute little story. It shows kids the importance of honesty, as we said, by lying. Oh, by to the them. way, what what he's getting around to is that this never happened, guys. Right. Ever. You ever. Um, it was it was actually and Weems has quite a few stories on Washington that well, turned out to not be true, um, but they were not as famous as this one. Yeah. Um, but, it was an integral part of elementary school, for sure. We learned about it every year. Like, we forgot that lying's bad. So right. They... <laughs> because you would get slapped with a paddle across the face if you lied to your teacher. Oh, you didn't? Never mind. What? 
you talking about? You never got slapped with a paddle across uh, the face. Not across the face. No, you'd go in the principal's office and get smacked on the butt. Behind closed doors. Behind, oh, that's actually so much creepier now. Yeah. And then your parents get told and you go, my mom and dad are going to be so angry. And but they're, they're angry the ones at you. They had to sign a paper at the beginning of the school year. That's true. It was a different time, that guys. you could get spanked. It was a different time. <laughs> but it's coming back. I yes. saw that there's a school. In this- okay, this is going off on a tangent. I am so sorry. Is there anything else for this week? Um, I mean, if you want to keep talking about... Um, Spanking you know, in spanking, schools? Spanking, capital punishment, corporal punishment, all those things we can, I don't but think no one I'm looking at the clock. That. Yeah, we've been, run- we've been running our mouths for a while. Do you have anything you want to say? No. All right. Then after that, we are out of time for this week. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a review because those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.